Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Thank you so much for everybody who has downloaded, subscribed. This is going to be another dope episode. I'm so excited to have uh, one of my new homies, actress and producer, Susan Kalechi Watson from This Is Us. But before we get into our conversation with Susan, I wanted to talk about this past weekend's Million MAGA March. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just, it makes me laugh uh, thinking about it. And more broadly, the future of Trumpism, as it's become clearer for even the most ardent Trump supporter that this presidential election is over. In case you missed it this past weekend, the Million MAGA March made its way to D.C. Now, of course, the number of people who actually attended was probably a couple hundred, a few thousand. And if you saw some of the footage from social media this weekend, uh, it was a combination of bigots, uh, dead bots, and other garden variety racists who either um, don't believe in science, uh, they were massless, faceless, those were definitely indication, and they definitely don't believe in math, and they still believe that Donald Trump won. The only good news that I can take from this past weekend is that if there's a race war, and these are the people we're fighting against, we're probably going to win. All jokes aside, the Proud Boys and the MAGAs were never my concern. While they're clearly problematic, I'm far less concerned about these type and the online trolls like them because they're not the majority of Trump supporters or voters, and they're not the ones necessarily fueling Trumpism in my view. Instead, it's your coworker, John, from accounting, who will gladly trade kids in cages and almost a quarter million dead Americans from a preventable disease in exchange for a strong 401k and what he thinks is a lower tax bill because of Donald Trump. It's also Karen who won't wear a mask and who gets frontline employees sick because it's apparent her right to not wear a mask and to make us all sick. That's the Trumpism that gave Donald Trump the second highest voter turnout of any presidential candidate in American history. They're the ones who'll come out and vote in the Georgia Senate runoffs who are in full support of people like Daniel Cameron as he looks the other way when cops murder Breonna Taylor. And they're the ones who don't think we need student loan relief or another stimulus because they're fine. So while the Proud Boys and MAGA bigots got all the attention this weekend, it's the maskless racist at your dinner table this Thanksgiving that tried to turn this country into a shithole. And they're the ones we have to fight back against if we're ever going to beat back Trumpism. And that's that on that. Now on to our show with my sister, the incomparable Susan Kalechi Watson. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, 
We're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. So today on the Bakari Sellers Podcast, I have a special guest who I want to welcome, Susan Kalechi Watson, as my daughter falls right there, right on cue. How is that? <laughs> so tell me what's going on. How does it feel to, today? What's going on in your world? What's going on on the West Coast? It feels good today. You know, I, I had a great weekend. I celebrated, uh, you know, our election and real happy uh, for Biden and Harris to, to have won. The ticket is, is in. And um, so I was with friends and, um, you know, it, feel, it feels, yeah, today's a new day. It's like a little, it's a little, uh, it's a little weight off our chest. You know, with yeah. all my guests, I start the show by giving them the opportunity to walk through the arc of their career. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think it's important that our listeners understand the years when you weren't quite a household name so that they can appreciate what they're seeing from you now. So walk me through the arc of your career from Howard University to what I think was your first TV role as Paula in the show Hack to your role now as Beth Pearson on This Is Us. What? We research? We do a little... We, we go back and... I'll dig in the crates. Wow. <laughs> you know what? It's funny that you say that because that was actually, to this day, probably one of the favorite things I've ever played because I got to play... Like, I was strung out on drugs, you know, and I know for a lot of people, it's like, oh, black woman strung out on drugs. But it wasn't that for me. It was so against type and what people see me as that I get to play a character. And so I love playing like characters that are very far from me. So Paula actually is, you know, holds a uh, holds a space in my heart. And again, yeah. And it was like one of the first things I had ever done on television. So, you know, it was that. And I remember my grandmother calling me after she saw it. And she was talking, what was she saying? She was saying, she quoted one of my lines, but she was saying it like a crackhead. Like you can almost <laughs> scratch in her arm. You know what I mean? And I was like, grandma was proud. I had about, you know, I had one scene, but she was so proud of that and, and God rest her soul. And so it was one of those moments that I, I won't forget in my career. So you can't even discount like the smaller roles because sometimes they just mean so much. They give you a chance to do things that you have fun doing, you know, just kind of spreading your wings. But um, after Howard, I graduated from fine arts at Howard and I went to NYU grad school. And when I got out of NYU, I thought like Spike Lee was going to call me and (laughs) we were about to do, you know, do the right thing, part three, whatever it was. And it was about to be on and popping, but it, it wasn't that. I learned that it was really a lot of work and a lot of like staying in it and a lot of continuing to learn and continuing to to practice, but also like, to be honest, not getting thrown off my path because things weren't happening. So there was just a lot of like hanging in there (laughs) to this, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like you stay around long enough, something's bound to happen, but there was a lot of that in it for me. And so I I had this thing where I was like, I was not going to get a regular nine to five job, not because there's anything at all wrong with that, but I wanted to maintain such a, like a keen focus that it was going to be, I do this or bust kind of situation. And so 
I did that for years and I scraped by. And when I say scraped, I mean scraped by. Were you in uh, New York or LA? Where were you? I was in New York. I'm a, yeah. I'm a like real New Yorker at heart. And I stayed in New York for a lot of it because I also did theater. And like when you're in New York, you can like still do theater, film and television at that time. So this is the 2000s. So there wasn't as much TV in New York as there was in LA. And that was just like about to change, like just about to change. And so, you know, I, when I could, I would float out to LA, you know, if I could afford that ticket and, and do a pilot season or two. But um, I was mostly in New York at the time, just because it still gave me an opportunity to like spread my wings and, and, and still act, even if it was just a workshop, if it was just a reading, like anything that I could do to be able to do it and stay in it. And then I started to get actually more and more roles on television. And so theater, um, I don't know what happened to theater. I love theater so much. They don't be trying to hire me for theater. But um, <laughs> that's all right, one day. But I, I, I did do Broadway. I did off-Broadway. And I just ended up doing a lot more television. And I started getting recurring roles. Like one of my first recurring roles was on Third Watch. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I did all the Law and Orders, of course. That's the New York staple. And thank God for them. I did, um, I got on Louie after a while and the list is long because there's so many different like guest stars and things like that, that you end up doing. But anyway, fast forward to getting This Is Us and that was in uh, 2016. And, um, and since then I've done film, I've you know started to branch out into producing, of course, which is a big passion of mine. And, and something that I've always wanted to do, that was always sort of a part of it as well. I think people think, you know, acting and that's sort of like the box that I'm in. But for me, it was, there was always this eye toward creating content and creating opportunities for other people who are supremely talented, but don't often get the opportunity because, you know, you remember the days when that you felt like that was you, you felt like yeah, I, yeah. I've trained for this. I've worked hard for this and I don't have the opportunity. So I appreciate the fact that now I can, I can be a part of the system that gives people those opportunities. If you're the first one through the door, just don't be the last. I appreciate that. No, I'm a Morehouse man, and okay. Howard is having Howard is having the absolute best year ever. So I'm going to let you get the H that H U thing off your chest. I understand you can take you y'all y'all are y'all are rocking. Uh, I heard Howard's homecoming has moved to January. They also call it inauguration. Y'all are going to be yes. showing out. I know. It's going to be. But I want it's oh, it's going to be crazy. But yeah. I want to talk about Howard's Division of Fine Arts because I don't think people outside of maybe the arts community understand just how many iconic figures have come from that department. Mm -hmm. It's you, Chadwick Boseman, Ozzie Davis, Felicia Rashad, Debbie Allen, Anthony Anderson, Taraji. Talk about Howard and how Howard has shaped your approach to your craft, especially give some flowers to Howard's Fine Arts program because it's truly a phenomenal program. Yeah, yeah. Wendy Raquel Robinson, Camila Forbes. There's so many names. I, you know, you got to give it its flowers. Here's the thing about Howard. Young, scrappy, and hungry. Is that what they said in, in Hamilton? Like, yes. Like, that's, that's that department. It's like, you go in there, and if you throw, I don't know, meat on the ground, it's like everybody's scrambling for it, because people are so hungry to learn, hungry to create, hungry to grow, that it's not simply we had some of the best professors around um, at that time, but
but it's also to have been surrounded by some of the most brilliant minds. You know what I mean? To be surrounded by people who, who create differently. They just think differently. They think outside of the box. It's, it's like, you know, we would take acting and like turn it on its ear just to see mm-hmm. what happens if you do, you know, and that's like fun for us. So when you step inside that building, there's an energy, this sort of kinetic energy, like it hits you, like you're a part of the balls bouncing around as soon as you walk in the door, because the energy just hits you and it brings you. And there's a connection to like the theater, um, the musical theater department, the dance department. I became a dance minor and I just, I didn't even know I did. I I thought I was still taking English, but I took so many dance (laughs) classes. (laughs) So can you imagine the parent, the daughter of Jamaican immigrants comes out of school with you know, uh, oh my goodness, degree and a dance degree. <laughs> they were, were like, they ta- oh. were they talking trash about you a little bit? Listen, a prayer circle had to be formed around that. <laughs> happened here, but um, you know, they were supported after they saw me perform. My freshman year, they saw me perform, and we. After that, there was an understanding, and they were like, "Okay, we understand what you want to do, and we see what you're trying to do." And we think that you can do it. So I, I have enough respect for my parents because originally they were, yeah, they were like, I'm going to need you to go ahead and get that English degree. Um, <laughs> but, and then, you know, years later when I was like broke down and out, I was like, why didn't I get the English degree? Like, what was <laughs> how am I going to dance my way out of this? One? <laughs> so this moment right now, though, is pretty dope for HBCUs because Kamala's vice president, Stacey Abrams, uh, you know, oh. she specifically played a huge role in Georgia. Uh, FAMU alum Keisha Bottoms played a key role in the Biden campaign. Absolutely. You had Ced- Cedric Richmond, my Morehouse brother. And then you had Congressman Jim Clyburn from South Carolina State, mm-hmm. who just, you know, practically helped save this country during the primary. We're seeing a, a real renaissance in the interest in our schools. Talk about the pride you're feeling and that so many of us are feeling right now in this moment when we see the graduates from our institution stepping up in a moment like this, even in Hollywood, stepping up into a moment like this. Yeah, I think for us, and tell me if it's the same for you, when you're in it and when you're a part of those institutions, you have a feeling that it's gonna leave an imprint. Do you know? Just because of- You're built for this. That's what you Yeah, it feels like that's going to happen. And, And in some way, the impression left on you is that it's part of your- if you so choose, it's, it can be part of your responsibility. If you so choose, if you want to pick up that mantle, you can be somebody who leaves a footprint here. And, and that's a very important thing that happens for a young Black person in a Black institution, because in the world, that's, that is not so heavily imprinted on your spirit yeah. in, you know, in normal circumstances. So when people kind of imprint that and say, look, you can, you absolutely can. And it changes the tide of things and it changes the atmosphere of things. You start to um, not only believe it, but you see it in the people around you. So you know it's possible and you see it in the people who came before you. So now to to see Kamala Harris in the White House, to see um, Keisha Lance Bottoms, to see Stacey Abrams, yourself, all these people out there moving the needle in the right direction, you know what I mean? Makes me incredibly proud. I hope you all feel it. I hope that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure Kamala feels it right now that we are all incredibly proud of, of the path that she took and that she um, still acknowledges, you know, 
so acknowledges the path that she took and, and all of us out there that are doing it, acknowledge the HBCU that they came from and acknowledge the imprint that that left on them, which is so important. You know what I mean? And now I, I feel like the next generations coming up are looking at that as very, very viable options that it's not Absolutely. like, Oh, it's sort of, Oh, I, I could go to a, I could always go to a black school. I, it's a fallback. You know, it's a fallback. If I don't get into state school, exactly. X, I can always go to the, yeah. to the black school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, they don't know the incredible education you get at these schools and what you really learn, you know, the true history that you learn, you know, and and the professors that you have that have been there and done that. You know, we've had professors that that walked it out, that that left their mark on, you know, one of my uh, professors who who was there and also left an imprint on the school for a very long time was Al Freeman, Jr., you know, and he was a great actor. You know, and and he did um, Amiri Baraka's work and he did he did outstanding things with, the you know, for um, theater in off Broadway and in New York at a time where, you know, that was when black men were kind of breaking into that. So you had people who were at the forefront of these things and they were the ones that were, were teaching and, and giving, um, you know, their expertise. You were just in good hands. But. But even above and beyond that, I'm sure what people remember are the people who they were surrounded by when they were there, because that's that's part of the the beautiful gift of it is that you're kind of surrounded by genius, you know. And you still you still bump into it in your professional career, even in Hollywood right now, because there's so many of you all who are doing great work. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do, too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. 
2020 has changed the world of sports. Some teams are adapting to the times by making changes in their stadiums and arenas, while others are letting fans buy virtual seats in the stands. I always tried to figure out how I could get one of the virtual seats at the NBA Finals, but I digress. These changes have created demand for a wide range of unexpected roles from plexiglass screen installers to video platform support specialists. Whether you have hiring needs for new positions like these or positions you're already familiar with, there's one place to go. It's called ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Bakari. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, you get sent out to over 100 top job sites. Then ZipRecruiter matching technology finds the most qualified ones for your job and actively invites them to apply. It's no wonder. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. For a variety of industries, ZipRecruiter can help you find the right people for your roles, even with the new rules. ZipRecruiter is a hiring game changer. That's why you need to try it for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash Bakari. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-A-K-A-R-I. Don't miss your chance. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Bakari. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now, you're five seasons in as Beth Pearson in NBC's This Is Us. For We got listeners who've probably been under a rock and never heard of This Is Us. Tell us, give us the Cliff Notes version of what it's about. Oh, okay. So This Is Us, Cliff Notes version. All right. Your elevator spiel. My, oh, shoot. Golly. Uh, different strokes meets... No, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. You see that? <laughs> different strokes meet family ties. Um, <laughs> it's... Um, I would say it's uh, about mainly three siblings. Uh, one being an adopted sibling. Uh, who was tr- who was adopted into a white family, and it is about uh, families through generations. So you see them um, from their parents when their parents get together until now that they have they've all just turned forty in the show, and um, and basically you see their journey as a family, and I I get to play uh, the adopted sibling's wife. I played by Sterling K. Brown, and I get to, I get to have fun and do that every week. Shout out to Sterling K. Brown. He's the homie. He, he, we did a lot of work together during the campaign. Great, great actor. But I want to talk about Beth Pearson because you actually overshadow Sterling K. Brown. You could tell That's him I said it. it. <laughs> uh, what do you want viewers to take from Beth's character as a black woman, wife, and mother in primetime sitcom television, which is still a big deal on major network television? What do you want viewers to take away from Beth's character? I want, I want viewers to, I think my biggest thing is to acknowledge the fullness of, Ooh, yay. We have a friend. Sorry. I don't know. (laughs) You know, you're fine. Stokely jumps in all the time. He just wants to see who it is. I told him I was interviewing today. He was like, really? Y'all watching that show? I want to see it too. So say, hey. (laughs) Hey, Um, So I, you know, I want them to, to, to see the fullness of, of womanhood, really, you know, I think that um, what I've learned and I've said this before from so many women in my life growing up and through the years and now in my womanhood is that they feel so much more than any label, any one particular label. So in other words, as a wife, you know, it doesn't stop there like, OK, so and so is so and so's wife or a mother. 
And as, as much of a blessing and a gift it is to be a mom, it's not the full definition of who you are as a woman. What I want people to see when they see Beth is, is the whole thing. I want them to see, you know, who she is, what her hopes, what her dreams are, see the fullness of, you know, her personality, you know, her womanhood, her sexiness, her appeal, her, um, her dreams, her hopes, her ambitions. You know, I want her to see, then I want them to see who she is as a mother and how those things apply to who she is as a mother and how they apply to who she is as a wife. And I, I feel like a lot of times, you know, men sort of get that benefit of you mm-hmm. see all those aspects of a man. It's important to see what his drive is and what he's interested in. And you know what I mean? And even down to how he spends his recreational time, it's all very, it feels very relevant to see those, the fullness of that in men and not so much in women. For some reason, it kind of lives and dies at motherhood and, you know, and being a wife. So that to me is, has always been really important that, you know, women really see all parts of themselves in her and that men learn a little bit more about uh, the fullness of a woman. Talk about the development of this character, though, because when you started the show, it was largely about the dynamics between the Pearson siblings. But we've seen your character develop now where you're a major player in every episode. Talk a little bit about the development of Beth's character. I sound like a TV critic, but (laughs) (laughs) at least you're a good one. At least you're a kind. Uh, You know what? Um, Yeah, she's come a ways. Right. And um, and that has been fun to kind of see her grow and and become and and for me even to learn more about her, because, as you said, when it first started, it was very much we were we were we were learning about the Pearson family. So I I understood like the story has to take time to unfold. And, you know, thankfully, we've been able to stick around enough that we, we get a chance to learn about Beth. And um, so slowly by slowly, I think it's happened with discussions with me and the writers. I think it's happened with the writers. I think it's happened as they listen to sort of the feedback of what people feel about the show and what people desire to see. I think there's very different ways that the feedback has um, sort of come around to how um, we continue to see Beth and how um, her journey plays out. But let me just, there's so many young our age, millennial women that mm-hmm. see, I was having lunch with uh, one of my good friends. She's a lawyer in Columbia, uh, Megan Walker. And I told her that I was interviewing you on the show and her eyes lit up. She was like, the character is so dope. The way she plays it is so dope. Do you feel that sense of responsibility? I, I mean, I know you do as as someone who takes your craft that seriously, but this character in particular speaks to so many women of color and so many women our age, professional mm-hmm. women. Right. Yeah, I anytime anybody says that Beth is dope, it it always will resonate with me. I, I don't think like a compliment never gets old to me. I just I just think it's such a generous thing for people to to say. Cause you know, I always kind of feel like you never have to say anything, really. You have the right not to say anything. You I know? wish people I wish more people would learn that. Sometimes you could just <laughs> shut the fuck up. Everybody doesn't have to talk. But, but yes, you're, you're right. right. Yeah, you don't have to say, you know, anything. But, you know, when people do see her and identify her and feel um, that way about her, you know, I I take it in. I take it in. And then also when I get on stage, I turn it off because it's not, um, you know, in sort of of order to maintain her, there has to be just a certain amount of purity that kind of 
disconnects from an audience watching her. You know what I'm saying? So can I ask you a, a craft question? This may be a silly yeah. question, but do you walk around the house sometimes and turn into Beth? Or do you yeah. ever catch yourself turning into your role? Like you chatting with somebody and they like, do you, <laughs> do you evolve into that person when you're not at work? No, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't ever catch it. Sometimes I catch Beth turning into me. I'll tell you that. Oh, There's okay. When I'm on set. It's, and and it's, it's particularly when I do like the comedy bits because I love comedy. And so like, I come from a very like comedic family. Like we're all, everybody's really funny. Everybody knows how to land a joke. Everybody knows how to tell a story, you know? And so there's times when there is the comedic aspect of Beth that I will go, um, that I'll get a little more Sue. You know what I mean? <laughs> I um, got you. And, um, <laughs> but as far as like Beth, you know, we just, we kind of are different people, she and I. I love her so much. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> this has gone down a kind of weird path over time. <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much, but we're different. You know what I mean? We are different. Let me ask this. Now, 2020 has been a, year, a banner year for you, but there was also a significant loss for us all particularly you and the Howard family around uh, my South Carolina brethren, Chadwick Bozeman. What did he mean to you? And talk about Chadwick, the friend, not what we see on TV, but Chadwick, the friend and your relationship with him. Ooh, okay. Well, let me try to get through this without uh, breaking down. Because I'll I be, I be crying with you. So just, <laughs> just. Uh, Chad was my brother. Chad was literally like my brother. He's a brother to me. And um, hmm. just very, very special to me. Um, Well, he was, he was, he meant so much to so many of us. And I just know that when we lost him, it felt like we lost a piece of us. And so my condolences go out to you and and everyone in that network of of friends and family. Uh, The last thing I want to do before I get out of here, um, I want to talk to you about this new project, which is, I saw the the minute and a half trailer mm-hmm. between the world and me mm-hmm. that you're executive producing. What mm-hmm. is it? And why did you decide to do this project? And how did it come about? And I've been in Hollywood before knocking on doors and been turned away. How did you get people to say yes? Did you say this is Beth coming to your door? How did you get people to say yes? <laughs> Uh, no, to we this, said, we said this is Tanahasi's book coming to the door. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Talk to tell people what it is because if you if you have a minute and ten seconds, go on YouTube and watch the trailer for this thing, and you're gonna be it, it, it's gonna it's gonna grab you. Yeah, um, you know Tanahasi's book between the world and me has uh, you know really grabbed people's hearts and minds and given people a perspective that many didn't know and many can also agree with. So you have the Black diaspora who can pick that up and not to make a blanket statement, but I would say for the most part, identify heavily with what he wrote. And, uh, and then you have people who are outside of that diaspora who now feel like they have a broader understanding of something that they didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And his book did such a good job of, of appealing to both sides while maintaining like, real authenticity with himself and what he was going through um, as a black man in, in this in these United States. And so what we wanted to do was, especially after um, Ahmaud Arbery, after 
Breonna Taylor, after George Floyd, after the so many, so many, so many, so many, but particularly then and in the midst of a pandemic, what we wanted to do was to bring um, this in a, a way that everybody could get to it, that everybody would have access to it, and that we could um, put these words in, in the mouths of people that can own them in a way that would even give us an even deep further understanding of it. And it is based off of um, 2018 staged production that Camila did, uh, Camila Forbes, uh, who's our director and also executive produces on it uh, with me, Tanahasi, and I'm Roger Ross, that she put up, up at the Apollo and at the Kennedy Center and that she did in Atlanta as well. And um, so we took that as the base and kind of ran with it and broadened it and, and made it something for streaming and made it like a docu-narrative, I guess is what we'll call that's, it. That's, yeah, that's make up stuff as we go. That's not, now that sounds, that sounds really, really. We know how to make stuff up and make it sound like <laughs> What did you personally learn from this project? Oh man, I learned honestly, outside of, you know, how much I love the book and the words and all that. I learned how much I really love being on this side of the creative process. I love the, producing and together. I love, um, you know, that watching it all come together. And, and even though I was on, I was acting in it, there was a lot of times when I wasn't and I was able to observe, or I was able to, you know, be on set. I was able to work behind the scenes, you know, putting all uh, pieces of the puzzle together along with, you know, we have such a great team, you know, and such a, and a team that has so many women and it's so diverse and there's so many uh, black people and you know people mm-hmm. who are getting an opportunity to work on something that's very close to their hearts that feels like it represents them. So there's just a lot of you know real pride that I have in, in being a part of this project and and Fakari and that's me. It's not, but it's a podcast, so they don't know that I'm just pounding my face. No, that, this is, you went New York on me. I just thought you had on Tim's and a bubble coat for a minute. But and I got to work with friends like Camille oh, yeah. and Tomasi, you know, they're my people. So there's no for me greater um, sort of enjoyment of the work than when you get to actually do it with with your friends. My last question is this, right? I'm going to call in a favor for January 20th at the White House. And one of the events, man, I wish they could show this. I I hope they show this in the White House, in the theater, right? But my question for you is, let's say that they show this in the White House, in the theater. And you know, during during this political moment we're in, where specifically Black voters turned out in record numbers to propel Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. If after watching this film... Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are right there. What do you want them to take tangibly from this film? What policy-wise do you want them to take? How do you want to move forward? How do you want people to go out and and just become a larger part of, of uh, or, or something apart, larger than themselves after watching this film? I would definitely want them to address police brutality towards uh, Black individuals in this country. That is, has to be first and foremost. Um, we have to address how we are being policed and how policing is 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 going down in our inner cities and 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 elsewhere. How you know we are being targeted at a disproportionate level, and for uh, reasoning that doesn't even come close to 
to anything that any other culture, I think, besides uh, possibly, you know, we can go into other stuff, but what I, specifically for the black culture, I feel that we get targeted at a disproportionate rate for right. things, um, in a way that it's just extreme, you know, exactly. Um, things it's the it, number of contacts and how they, how these contacts actually end up more violent and more lethal than other communities and other cultures. Exactly. And, and, um, and that has to be addressed. I mean, it just, it has to be addressed. So I would hope that that would be one of the tangibles that would be, that would be taken away, you know, and that, and that we would pick up on where we left off this summer, you know, that that's not something that is just. Yeah. Was it a movement or was it a moment is the question that people have to ask themselves. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were so amazing. I will tell you that me and my EP were talking. Yes, I have an EP for my podcast. We were chatting and um, the question was brought up. Do you think she's Hollywood yet? Definitely not Hollywood <laughs> at all. So dope. It's an amazing interview. You're an amazing spirit. I just want to say thank you for coming on the show and giving me a few moments of your time. And I wish you absolutely nothing but the best. This has warmed my spirit immensely. Oh, well, thank you, Vakari. It's so great being here. And you know what? I'll be back. Oh, you come back. You know I'm what? I'm gonna let you. Myself. I'm gonna let you. Uh, <laughs> since you're in LA now, when I come out there next time, we can. What y'all do in LA? Walk barefoot and eat at a at a food truck or something. Isn't that what y'all do out there? I, I feel like that's exactly what we do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Have a, a good one. Truck. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before I let you go on this show's one more thing, I wanted to share two recent quotes. One from Alabama Senator Doug Jones and the other from New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that I hope Democrats take heed as we pick up the pieces. Senator Jones said the following in an interview with Politico recently saying, quote, both party campaign arms need to change their mission. Stacey Abrams' work in Georgia should be a model for the party's work in individual states, while the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee and the DCCC, the Triple C, spend too much time investing in candidates and not the electorate. They don't invest in House districts. They don't invest in states. Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez made a similar point when she noted in the New York Times interview that, quote, there's a lot of magical thinking in Washington, that this is just about special people that kind of come down from on a high Year after year, we declined the idea they did work and ran sophisticated operations in favor of the idea that they are magical, special people. I need people to take these goggles off and realize how we can do things better. Now, on the Bakari Sellers podcast, we always break down what people are saying. So here's what they're saying. Modern politics aren't about individual candidates. Instead, we win with infrastructure organizing when there is an election, training operatives that aren't in D.C., that actually know how to run campaigns, always registering voters and keeping up a steady drumbeat in our messaging of what's at stake and why the Republican vision for America simply doesn't work unless you're rich. This traditional Democratic playbook of finding the clean candidate who we think can raise the most money where then we dump millions of dollars into ads instead of people, places, and campaign infrastructure is wrong, outdated, and it needs to stop. If you need proof of our flawed playbook, look no further than the Democratic U.S. candidate in North Carolina, Cal Cunningham. On paper, he was a perfect candidate per Chuck Schumer in the DSCC. He could raise money. He's a good-looking white guy. He's a veteran. He ran, quote, a family-first campaign for all of us. 
only to learn that, you know, he had a problem texting. But instead of off-cycle investments and organizing that could have been a firewall in North Carolina, we pinned our hopes on one man and we paid the price. So listen to AOC and Doug Jones. They're right. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. We'll see you on Thursday. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.